I'm Kelly Harrell, author, animist, and creator of The Weekly Rune. Solentent Arts is my soul-tending practice, and you're listening to What in the Weird, my podcast in which I talk about runes, actionable animism, soul-tending, and how all of those intersect through sacred activism on my path. The Weekly Rune is out, and if you're not sure what it is, it's a runecast that I've done for years, focused on the runic calendar and the current half-month rune. The Weekly Rune is now available in full on Patreon.com. Just do a search for Kelly Harrell to find it, and you can find the archive of all past runecasts on my site, soulintentarts.com. If you're not sure what a half-month is or what the runic calendar is, Listen to the early episodes of What in the Weird, or just go read the weekly rune. It's explained fully at the beginning of every runecast. Thank you to everyone who listens to the podcast, to those who send notes and share their experiences of the runes. That's what it's all about, and I'm grateful for the engagement. I also want to thank my Patreon supporters who make the sharing of my rune work through the podcast and the RuneCast possible with their financial support. If you've benefited from the RuneCast, the podcast, or the ton of free articles on the runes, animism, and soul tending on my website, you can show your support through buying my books, which you can find at soulintentarts.com or Amazon, by making a one-time contribution through PayPal or Square, or by contributing regularly through Patreon. Just go to patreon.com and search for Kelly Harrell. You can also subscribe to the paid version of the Weekly Rune there, and thank you for it. Happy New Year in the runic vernacular. I know we're all skidding in sideways with zero sleep and crumbs on our shirts, but we're here. We're doing this. And Fehu, Fehu is all about how we tend our assets, right? We've had that conversation, and it's about how we have to let them grow. And I think that most of the talk that we encounter about Fehu is very centered on money, which by default means privilege. Now, I know when we talk about it in a historic context, we associate it with wealth, which is associated with cattle and natural assets that would have been the money of the day. But when we talk about it in a modern context, we're pretty much talking about money. And then it devolves into this discussion of, hey, look at all my stuff, but what do I do with it, right? That's the tending part. And for folks that don't have all the stuff, that conversation is missing the nuance of the rune. Fehu is about the things that really bring wealth to our lives, as in what we value individually and what we do to take care of it. And that may not be money related at all. It can be, but it, it may not necessarily be. There, there can also be privilege in that conversation either way, though, right? Whether we're talking about money or who gets the skills and the education, that kind of stuff, who gets um, the knowledge for how to tend things well, 
there can be deep privilege, whether we're talking about money or emotional regulation or education. All of it is about skills that somebody has to teach us. Like if we don't get them from home, if we don't get them from our parents, which can also be a matter of privilege, we have to be able to get them from somebody else. And that means we have to pay them. That means we have to be in the position to get the attention of somebody to want to teach us. Spot on privilege. So those are the aspects of Fehu that we are ready to deepen. We are. We're there. We're here. It's time. We often talk about the runes in an ancient cultural light, like in a um, like in a tribal clan sort of all for one setting where we were all animistic, right? We all agreed on what our cosmology was. And that alone is a huge um, aspect of inclusivity. It means that we automatically agreed on a lot of important social and cultural nuances. And privilege in that regard doesn't exist in, in that context the way that it does now. And so we're not all for one. And the gaps that creates leaves a lot of people out. So our conversation about the runes needs to be able to hold how we function now. Like, it's great to look at the historic stuff. And that's what so many people who read runes want to do. And it's cool. And I encourage you to know your shit historically, deeply. And yet, we also, if we're going to work with the runes as a living tradition and bring them forward in a way that is still relevant to how we live, then we have to be able to do that with how we really live. And that means that the way that we work with the runes has to cover the bases of now in a way that is as much about accessibility in their meaning and their application as possible. So if it doesn't doesn't apply to now, why bother? That's true with anything as far as I'm concerned. If you can't figure out how to have direct personal relationship with it right now, where you stand, what's the point? To focus Fehu to cover more bases in how we live now. Like when we talk about growing our assets, we're almost always assuming that means that we spend time with them, we move them around, we do the thing that gets us more assets, right? That's what that's what the conversation usually is. So whether you're super privileged or just pulling it together, Supremacy mindset dictates wealth and assets as a perpetually dangling carrot that regardless of your social status and your power, you can never get enough. That's the base hamster wheel of supremacy. Create a faulty power structure in which those who who are on the bottom can never change their position. Keeping them subverted is what keeps the wheel moving. And because of that narrow understanding of growth, growth as in meaning um, get more, we lose the meaning of growth that is to deepen, to allow the space for what has been to shift into what meets the needs of now. So growth isn't just about acquisition of more of what you have, but allowing what you already have to deepen. And that, that, from my perspective, is is only attainable through an animistic lens. Like if you can't understand or appreciate that you are part of the equation, 
what you perceive yourself to have is part of the equation. Your wealth, your assets is part of the equation. The relationship that you have with them is another part of the equation, i.e. each one of those things is a life force that's distinct and connected. Where you allow that to go, the, the, the relationship to your assets to go is a fourth life force. It's all got to work together and, and, and be able to express its own agency and yet you be the unifying factor that's tending all of it. So with that understanding in mind, I want to talk about one of the greatest assets that I've had in my life and how it has grown. And as I do, I want you to think about your greatest assets, the ones you know, the ones that you maybe overlook or you kind of know they are, but you haven't really honored them. You don't want anybody else to know or things that you don't even think can be assets because you do have them. You just have to learn to bless them so that they can keep growing. And that means learning to bless them and holding them loosely is the challenge. So surprise, surprise, writing has been one of my greatest assets. I I can tell you without hesitation, um, that writing has not in and of itself enabled me to dig out of debt on any level. So again, I'm not talking about that kind of assets and growth, but writing has facilitated my growth as a being. It has literally kept me sane through a horribly post-traumatic childhood and young adulthood. It helped me talk to people who were also looking for animistic roots in a time that nobody else was having that conversation face-to-face or elsewhere. And writing helped me to solidify the soul work that would express itself as my calling. I've written, I don't even know, I've written several books, but the one that that most suits this context of deepening growth is my third book, Teen Spirit Guide to Modern Shamanism. It's still available. It came out originally in 2014, in May of 2014, through Soul Rocks Books, and then it shifted to a a different imprint of the same publisher, and it's with Moon Books now, I think. Um... And no, I did not get to choose the title. This <laughs> Everybody's like, what were you thinking? I'm like, well, I submitted a manuscript. Um, this book was part of a series that was called the Teen Spirit Series that was focused on young adults. So, you know, you cannot win them all. I can't believe it's been six years, but, you know, that's the thing. It has been six years, and really... It's been since well before that, that I entered into an open dialogue about moving through this world as an animist and being committed to a path of soul tending. But in that time frame, how I articulate my work, how I, how I articulate that movement has changed dramatically. One of the things we talk about in the spirited path, the intensive that I mentor, is how important it is to be able to articulate your work, your calling, your duty. And it, it's a catch-22. It is a, it's a real conundrum because the way we word is very colonized. Every word for a thing nerfs the thing by design. And I, and I can't tell you the conflict that I feel when I say that and when I sit with that reality because I love writing. I absolutely love it. And yet I realize that words fall horribly short of conveying soul intent. So 
after all this time. I, I've had conflicts with words and writing long before I was writing books. And I wanted to try to word embodied life differently. Maybe I was successful with it. Maybe I haven't been. But the way that I write, either way, has changed since that book came out. And just as I teach how important articulation of your embodiment is, it's just as important to allow your work and your path to change as it is to allow how you talk about them to change. And both are really hard to let the work grow and let how you talk about your work grow at the same time. That's a duality of having lived a certain context still in that context and realizing it's changing from beneath you into a context you can't see yet, but you have to hold the space for all of that to happen. I get a lot of emails about my earlier books, probably Gift of the Dreamtime um, more than any other, just because it was out first and so it's had longer to reach people. But I usually get comments from people about details that are no longer relevant for me. They're relevant for them, but they are no longer relevant for me. It has changed for me. And that's a super tricky situation. When you're writing largely autobiographical stuff, it's a slice of your life. But it's just one slice. And the slices keep coming, as they should, which directly affects and shifts the perspective on the previous slices. And I'm not at all down with erasure. It's not okay to realize that you would do something different now and just change it going forward to, as if the earlier iteration didn't exist. I, I think you have to talk about the change. I have to talk about the transition, partly because people are watching and I, I need to be present in that for my own embodiment and partly for my own awareness of how I'm, you know, raising my own kids. It, it is real at this stage, right? And to pretend that we got it right the first time and then act like we didn't screw up, all of that is deeply problematic. And that's something that we have to deal with personally and culturally. So I'm not going to like J.K. Rowling retcon all over you, though I am going to talk very realistically about what tending the asset of writing for me has meant and how it's grown, how it's deepened since the writing of this book. The big one, which y'all already know, I wouldn't call what I do shamanism anymore. Um, you know, how other people express the wording to describe their soul work is on them. I would hope that for bias's sake, they're at least listening to indigenous folks on the matter and tending their spot on the broken path and questioning their personal intentions behind their words, all of their words. And I've, I've talked at length in other writings and interviews about why I stepped away from that wording and why the focus has changed. And, and it's, it's just not the appropriate word for my work. It never was. And at the time that the book came out, I wasn't mature enough to let my wording speak or, or even to be patient enough to let it evolve or, or, or just let it be undefined and leave other people to deal with their baggage around me not having a wording. It's clearer for me now. It's something that I feel 
And I'm grateful for that awareness and finding the way to articulate my work has absolutely given more value to the work. It's created stronger relationships with my work and with other folks who are doing their work their way. Another thing that I would handle differently is that whole triple world cosmology thing. I said in the book how I never experienced cosmology that way and how I don't, um, I don't project that that's the only way to do it. But I presented it in that manner for ease of digestion that modern soul work could process at that time. Like some cultures legit have such a cosmology. That's, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the projection that it's the way we should all do it. And that if it doesn't shape that way, we're doing it wrong. And for those of you, I mean, like, you know, like the people who are listening to me pretty much already know that they have already had their own personal relationship with their cosmology and they know that, but I have encountered hundreds of people for whom that is not the case. They, they had this crafted structure put, just plopped in place for them. And whether Harner meant for that model to be internalized like a rule, it has been. Like that is the way his people have gone forward with it. And, and I've worked with tons of Harner exports who ended up thinking that they were failed pathwalkers because the triple thing didn't work that way for them. I've met the most people through Teen Spirit Guide to Modern Shamanism on this one point alone. People who were like, I got this book because I thought my shit was broke. And then they get to this point in, in the book and they realize, well, I know that there's other ways to do it. And yet this book doesn't exactly break me out of that. So no more. No more nerfing. I don't teach it that way. I don't talk about it that way. Cosmology is not plug and play. It is not one size fits all, especially on the broken path. And, and there is an implied ranking of realms of being within that, that Harner pushed out version that carries its own bias and projections. I don't approach it that way. Maybe that's a new book to write. Ugh. Okay, no, I've blogged about it. Go read the blogs. So there's a particular um, thing in this book that James Stovall pointed out super quickly after it came out, and he was dead on about it. It was something that I was aware of at the time, but I, I did not weigh in hard enough that totemism and animal guides are not the same thing. Guru Internet, you know, Guru Google puts them in the exact same search results, right? If you look up Animal Guide, then everybody and their sister is also saying it's synonymous with totems. And, and you know, we talk about them interchangeably, but they're not the same. Totems imply legacy, and we ain't got that. We don't have that on the broken path. That's the broken part of the path, one of the many broken parts. But it's something that if, if you delve into soul tending as a way of being, sooner or later you discover that you don't have that legacy of nature-spirit relationships and you have to confront the grief that it digs up. And that, that grief is probably why more people aren't talking about it. Again, this is something that I teach very differently. Along 
the same line, that whole ordinary reality, non-ordinary reality thing that core shamanism popularized. Oh, mm. at the time, the conversation around that mindset being the opposite of animism was not happening. People were not ready to hear that. I have, I've met so many core shamanists who ask me what animism is. I'm talking 25 years of this, and I still encounter people in that, that brand, no pun intended, or pun, of shamanism who say, what's well, an animist? And, and that fact alone is something to think about. Um, my take is it's all reality. We are connected to it all the time. We are all. There is no ordinary, non-ordinary. It's about whether we're bringing our awareness to the nuances of what being embodied is at any given time. Reality doesn't change in that regard. We do. And the idea that certain realities are out of access to certain people, skills or not, it just again reinforces bias that runs through so many other attitudes in soul work. That is not animism. I wish I had been more direct in asserting animism first and among all, but I didn't know how to take on that machine at the time. Now I just don't give a shit. I, I realize that's the only equalizing way to do this work. It's the only way that really honors the broken path and our ancestors, as well as the hot mess of bias that we're dealing with systemically now. We have to perceive our embodied selves at, at every opportunity that we can. And when we do that, it's not ordinary, non-ordinary. It is. So those are the big ones. I think I could probably tease out little ones. But those ways of embodying soul tending have radically changed for me. I don't even know. I can't even say radically. Some of it did not radically change. I did not know how to say it because those conversations didn't exist. I didn't have the maturity to stand in it anyway. And the because I felt so strongly about that, I kept going back at it. I didn't, you know, I didn't write the book and be like, I'm done. And so the way that I needed to articulate those things grew along with the things themselves. And, and it, it was not seamless, you know, just because you gain how embodiment is for you does not just poof words to describe it into being. But the change was the catalyst for the articulation to come. Like being the change was the catalyst to learn how to express it. And in my writing, that kind of synchronicity is dire. Like, it's not dire just for me and my brain to be able to logic it all out for my own sanity, but to be sure that I'm putting my work forward in the most accurate representation that I can. Like, writing does that. It's an asset that I wasn't convinced in certain moments would rise to meet my needs, but I had to do the emotional and intellectual labor to stay in relationship with it. And I still am, to be honest. When you realize that assets you've held dear demand that you grow so that they can grow, it's not an easy dynamic to allow. Like I said, there's, there's grief in this process. 
because it's never just about the assets. It's never just about, I need more of this. I even need this to be deeper. It's about how you are emotionally connected to them, whether you should or shouldn't be, and whether you're ready to face the parts of you that might need to shed or at least change so that the new relationship to assets can come, so that new growth in what you value can happen. Because direct relationship is what it's all about. You support your assets. They support you. And that means not just that each component in that relationship must be healthy. They have to each be active. You are your assets. How do you look after yourself? How do you, do you tend your assets at all? Do you tend them better than you tend yourself? Are you willing to feel through the shadow stuff so that your assets can support your growth? The, the Fehu half-month affirmation from Runic Book of Days is the light shortens slightly. Warm brightness illuminates that I am enough. We haven't had models, role models, or literal processes of flow for how to move through that kind of growth. To be able to realize you are your assets and you are enough. We have not had models for that. But we're getting them through these refined personal gestures and how we treat ourselves as assets that deserve and need to grow through embodying the wisdom and knowledge of our immediate animistic communities, we are honoring the broken path and we're creating a new one or lots of new ones. Thanks for listening. If you have questions or insights about working with the runes in season, or you just want somebody to bounce your ideas off, feel free to email me at kelly, that's K-E-L-L-E-Y, at solentinarts.com, or you can call into the Anchor app, which you can download for Android or iPhone. Also, check out earlier episodes by downloading them from Google Play or iTunes and various other podcast platforms. And you can learn more about me, Runic Book of Days, and my work by visiting solentinarts.com or on Instagram at Kelly Soul Arts. I'm Kelly, and this has been What in the Weird.